Hey everyone, welcome back. Um, first off, I just want to reiterate that um, prior to listening to this episode, um, the expectation is that you have already by now read all of the Gospel of Mark in your Jewish annotated New Testament, including those special little text boxes that are uh, sort of highlighted in gray throughout the text. So that way you have now some familiarity with that text and can follow along um, with what's going on here for today's discussion or for this discussion here. Um, so with that, we're going to go ahead and get started with the Gospel of Mark. And we're starting with that because just for practicality's sake, it's the shortest gospel. It's the quickest to get through uh, and read through all in one setting. So that's why we've chosen to start with that one uh, for the class. <clears throat> right. Uh, so yeah, the Gospel of Mark. It's our shortest of the canonical gospels. It was written anonymously, right, without a, a, a title or a name ascribed to it, by a Greek-speaking Christ follower, probably living outside of ancient Palestine. Now, this gospel is a compilation of oral traditions and perhaps some written ones, though none of those written sources survives, and so we can only guess or hypothesize about what these possible written traditions or written sources could have been. So this lecture introduces the method of genre criticism. So we're going to think about genre, right? We've already talked about genre, and that genre is ancient biographies, or biographies in the ancient Mediterranean context. And we're going to apply that to the Gospel of Mark. So this interpretive approach focuses on the literary genre of a book. Specifically, this lecture is going to explore the ways that Mark used aspects of the ancient genre of biography, again, bios in Greek, in order to tell his story about Jesus. So I have this sort of divided up into a number of little sections or subsections. So the first one here is the beginning of the gospel, Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God who fulfills scripture. So the gospel of Mark was written from a Jewish perspective. At the very beginning of his biography, the author states that Jesus was the Christ, which is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew term for Messiah, it literally means anointed one, right? Jesus's last name was not Jesus Christ, who was the son of both Mary and Joseph Christ. And Jesus is the Christ as a title, the title for the Messiah or anointed one. <clears throat> so the beginning of this biography, the author of the Gospel of Mark states that Jesus was the Christ, a title that is meaningful only to Jews. In the first century, there were a variety of views of the Messiah. Some Jews believed that the Messiah would be a king. Other Jews believed that he would be a cosmic judge, perhaps the angel Michael himself coming down to lead an angelic army at the end of days. But all notions about the Messiah that we know of presented this figure as powerful. So the problem that Mark confronted was the paradox of Jesus as a suffering and executed Messiah. So Mark's gospel begins abruptly. It does not open with a birth narrative, for instance. I'm sure that this is something that really stood out to you when you read this text in full. So instead, the gospel of Mark begins with John the baptizer's message of the coming Messiah, and then immediately followed up by Jesus's appearance as an adult. Right? We have no background story of Jesus. We have no childhood stories. We have no birth narrative. So when Jesus appears, Jesus asks John to baptize him, and then after his baptism, Jesus is thrust into the wilderness where Satan tempts him. 
he returns, apparently victorious, and begins his public ministry preaching the coming kingdom of God. Now, this is that eschatological kingdom of God that is going to uh, come down and uh, overthrow the kingdoms of this world, particularly the kingdom of the empire of Rome. So there are a number, sort of, a number of um, <clears throat> sort of depictions of Jesus as the Son of God throughout the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to go through uh, several of those here. The first one is that of Jesus as the authoritative Son of God. Right? So Mark's Jesus is authoritative. He calls disciples and they immediately follow him. People are amazed and they listen attentively when he speaks. Even unclean spirits obey his commands. And despite all of this, Jesus is misunderstood by all and is hated by the Jewish leadership. Now note how I'm saying the Jewish leadership in these texts, not the Jews, right? So it's particularly the Jewish leadership that seem to be Jesus's opponents in the narrative of the gospel of Mark. So the next uh, depiction of Jesus is Jesus as the opposed son of God. So according to Mark, the religious leadership opposed Jesus from the beginning, and this antagonism culminates with his execution. Now, despite this animosity, Jesus never opposed Judaism as a religion. That's a later Christian anti-Jewish or anti-Semitic reading of these texts. So even though the religious leaders challenged and were apparently offended by Jesus's interpretation of the law, Mark continues to portray Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. So that brings us to our next point, Jesus as the misunderstood son of God. In the first half of Mark's gospel, only five individuals or groups know Jesus's identity. First being the Israelite God. Second, Jesus himself. Third, the evil spirits or demons. Fourth, the author who's actually writing the gospel. And fifth, the reader of these gospels or the reader of this gospel. So not even Jesus' closest disciples understand who he is. And in fact, it's not until the middle of the gospel in chapter 8 that uh, Jesus' disciples begin to even realize that Jesus is the Son of God, which is kind of startling, kind of shocking. So that uh, moving from Jesus as the misunderstood Son of God to Jesus as the acknowledged Son of God, we have Jesus then asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ. This is in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. This is the first time in the gospel of Mark that one of Jesus's own followers identifies him correctly. However, it's not even a full recognition though, because Peter immediately chastises Jesus for prophesying his passion. And passion here is not like lustful passion. What we mean by passion is suffering. Uh, the Greek word uh, for suffering comes from the root word that we get our English word passion from. So the passion narrative of Jesus is the narrative part of the story where Jesus is undergoing suffering uh, and crucifixion. <clears throat> so at this point in the Gospel of Mark, right, Peter responds, you are the Christ, but when Jesus talks about how the Christ, the Son of Man, is going to be betrayed and crucified, Peter rebukes Jesus because the expectation is messiahs don't get crucified, messiahs do not suffer, messiahs do not die. 
messiahs are authoritative, powerful, uh, victorious figures who crush the enemies of God under their feet. Right? So here we're seeing this acknowledgement of Jesus as the Son of God, but a misunderstanding of what that really means. So this brings us to our next point. Jesus as the suffering Son of God, the suffering Messiah. Jesus depicts, or I'm sorry, predicts his death three times in the Gospel of Mark. And the latter part of the text focuses exclusively on his passion, right? His suffering and execution. Mark explains that it is precisely because Jesus is the Messiah that he must die. His death is a sacrifice that atones for humanity's sins. So this moves us to our next point, Jesus as the crucified Son of God. So even at the end, Jesus' disciples do not understand Jesus' own identity and mission. Judas betrays him, Peter denies him, and the others scatter to avoid arrest. Jesus is left alone to die alone by his disciples. And he is left alone, dying alone, wondering if God has abandoned him as well. Right? Mark chapter 15, verse 34, talks about Jesus' cry from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or to, instead of using this term forsaken, to use more colloquial English in a more accurate version or accurate translation of the Greek, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So Mark uses two events at Jesus' death to illustrate the reality of Jesus' messiahship. First, when Jesus dies, the curtain of the Jerusalem temple, which separates the Holy of Holies, that inner sanctum of the temple, from the outside world, tears in half. Through this story, Mark implies that after Jesus' death, all people, not just the Jewish high priest, have full access to encountering the Israelite God. And second, and even more striking, is that the pagan soldier at the foot of the cross recognizes Jesus and confesses that he is God's son. So throughout the gospel, all of the Jews, including Jesus' own followers, fail to recognize Jesus' messiahship. And ironically, it is a pagan Gentile who first confesses this truth. Now, this passage will be then later read by later Christians in the second century and going forward as signifying that God has abandoned the Jews or the Israelite people because of their failure to recognize the Messiah and Jesus and has now chosen the Gentiles because it is the Gentiles or a Gentile who first signify, or, or first identifies correctly Jesus as the Son of God who has just suffered and died and been crucified. Right? Those are anachronistic readings. Those are later readings that come from a place of Christian anti-Judaism that wants to rip away uh, this Jesus movement away from its Jewish context and away from Jews and Judaism and instead claim it solely for ex-pagan Gentiles and non-Jews from the second century onward. Our next point here is now moving from Jesus, the crucified son of God to Jesus as the vindicated son of God. So Mark ends his gospel as abruptly as he begins it. The day after the Sabbath, that is the day of rest on Saturday, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome, or Salome, depending on how you want to pronounce it, but in Greek it's more rendered as Salome, 
come to Jesus's tomb and they find it empty. A young man tells them that Jesus has been raised and instructs them to tell the disciples. Mark says that the women said nothing because they were afraid. And that's it. So to wrap things up here with Mark and thinking of his readership, Mark's readers were probably ex-pagan Gentiles because he occasionally explains Aramaic words, which is the words of, or Aramaic is the language that the historical Jesus and the earliest disciples probably all spoke. They did not speak Greek. They spoke Aramaic. So Mark's readers are probably ex-pagan Gentiles, that is non-Jews, because Mark occasionally explains Aramaic words and Jewish customs to his readers, explanations that probably would not be necessary for a Jewish audience. Mark himself may have also been, Mark, I mean, scare quotes, Mark is the author. Mark may himself not have been a Gentile since he misunderstands these Jewish traditions himself. And the anti-Jewish rhetoric in this gospel aimed at Jewish leaders probably reflects some problems between Mark's community and a local synagogue. So this rhetoric later gets read as a blatant condemnation against all Jews and against Judaism to deadly effect. And we'll discuss this more on our class uh, dealing with Christian supersessionism, anti-Judaism, anti-Semitism uh, later on in the schedule. So to reiterate a few things, some highlights here. Mark was writ written in Greek around the year 70 CE. Its anonymous author was a Greek-speaking Christ follower, probably living outside of Palestine, who had heard numerous stories about Jesus before writing his own account for his Christ-following community. The gospel begins with Jesus being baptized as an adult, and at the outset it reveals his character as the Son of God who leads, teaches, heals, and casts out demons with authority, but who is nonetheless opposed by Jewish religious leaders. The gospel stresses that Jesus' character and destiny were misunderstood by virtually everyone with whom he came into contact, including his own disciples. For Mark, Jesus was not to come in power to overthrow the forces of evil aligned against God and his people, like traditional views of the Messiah expected. Instead, Mark wants to argue that Jesus came to suffer and die at the hands of these forces, that he is actually a different kind of Messiah. But Mark indicates that God has the last say. After Jesus' suffering and death in Jerusalem, God raises Jesus from the dead, and an angelic messenger announces that he would meet his followers in Galilee. Now, you probably noticed all those other additional endings at um, the end of the Gospel of Mark after chapter 16, verse 8. And the Gospel of Mark is pretty unique among the Gospels in its abrupt ending. Right? We've already talked a little bit about that. So the ending comes as a surprise to many readers who think that the women surely must have told somebody. After all, word of the resurrection did get out. And the other gospels go on to tell the stories of Jesus' appearances to his disciples after the resurrection. So how could Mark's gospel end here with the women not telling anyone? We know that ancient scribes were also surprised by this abrupt ending. And so they did what scribes sometimes did. They added endings that were more in keeping with their own beliefs and seemed to reflect passages in the other Gospels. So there are additional 12 verses that are added to what uh, to the ending of God, uh, the Gospel of Mark to, to describe what, in those scribes' opinion, must have happened next. Right? 
if you've read through the rest of the Gospel of Mark to those other passages, you, you see the story of the women telling the disciples what they have seen and heard, and the disciples traveling to Galilee to meet with Jesus, who gives them their final instructions before he ascends into heaven. And this new ending does give a kind of closure to the account, but it's not original. It cannot be found in our oldest and best surviving manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark, and its style of writing and vocabulary are not consistent with what the rest of the gospel contain. It was added by later scribes who simply did not want the book to end where it did, which is why you'll find it placed in brackets in most modern English translations. So that's the gospel of Mark. Um, I am looking forward to our class discussion on this text, this, uh, you know, short yet enigmatic text talking about Jesus as the secret suffering son of God. Our next episode, we'll be looking at the gospel of Matthew. So before listening to that, be sure that you have read the gospel of Matthew in full as well. Thanks very much. See you all soon.